Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone, welcome to the Red Men TV for a special show. I am joined by Raphael Honigstein um, of The Athletic. You can get his writing and other fantastic writing on theathletic.co.uk. If you also add forward slash Red Men TV, you can get a 50% discount off your yearly subscription fee and the seven-day trial as well. It's an absolutely brilliant thing, keeping us all up to date with everything that's going on in and around world football and, of course, the mighty Reds as well. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Liverpool um, and tangentially some Liverpool stuff as well. Um, but first and foremost, I want to talk about the Coutinho stuff. Uh, so many Liverpool fans have such a connection to the to the player. Um, he is in an awkward situation, really, isn't he, at the moment? I don't think the lockdown has necessarily helped this, but he's had the low move to Bayern Munich. It doesn't look, by all accounts, as though Munich, though, are interested in in, in keeping him at the club beyond this season. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's been doing okay. I don't think it's, it'd be fair to call him a flop or somebody who hasn't uh, played well at all, but it's been very intermittent. Um, we've seen some some good stuff. We've seen some stuff that uh, was a little bit underwhelming. And uh, he's a little bit the victim of um, Thomas Müller playing so well that it's impossible to leave him out. Uh, on the wings, Bayern are very strong. And Coutinho's favourite position is, of course, that number 10 role. He can play out wide and they have tried him uh, on occasion, which he then uses to cut inside. But it hasn't been um, as consistent enough to really force the hand of either Niko Kovac, who has since left, or the new coach, Hansi Flick, to make him a real regular. And for somebody who is really a fringe player at this moment, um, Bayern are, even without the corona crisis and all the knock-on effects, are not minded to make this a permanent deal. He's just too expensive for what he brings. And I think they're looking towards a more sort of strategic investment, bringing somebody younger in um, to to fill that gap that they still have in the attacking third. Is that, the, I mean, this is the, the, the problem that Coutinho finds himself in. He's a very highly valued player in terms of his market value or in terms of what Barcelona would be looking for him. He's a very highly paid player, but he's also, and he's, at what 28 years old you know he he should be at the absolute peak of his game but he's not so you know is that going to cause him problems do you think in terms of finding his next club 
I mean, it depends on Barcelona how desperate are to cut their losses. I mean, I think if they want to sell him for 120 million euros, which I think is more or less the money that uh, was fixed in the uh, loan agreement that would enable Bayern to make this deal permanently, then I think they'll find very few takers, especially the situation we find ourselves now in. Um, if you include wages as well, if you include probably um, a sale on uh, a knock-on, um, you know, fee values that are not going to be that high, his his resale value is not going to be that high. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult, and I think it's a little bit similar to where James Rodriguez found himself. Yeah. You know, when you go to, or even Gareth Bale, when you go to um, one of the two Spanish clubs, you're at the very maximum of your earning power. If for whatever reason, then you're no longer a a regular, where can you go from there? You can only really um, hope that somebody will maybe take your loan or that maybe the, the Spanish clubs will effectively subsidize your wages. Otherwise, it's very, very difficult for you to, to find another to find another club. Now, I think he is being, I don't want to say touted around, but I think his his agents are exploring options, maybe a possible exit scenario for him. And I think the Premier League is a destination that they look at because of the uh, ability, perhaps, of clubs to afford his wages. But he doesn't really make for a very strong proposition at the moment. If you will be in charge of any of the top six clubs, you wouldn't necessarily think to break the bank for Coutinho at this moment in time. Well, the, the Athletic article that you're you're involved in um, makes Chelsea one, a great reference to Chelsea in there and talks about his suitability for the club. And uh, but it also states that the the volume of players that Chelsea have got who kind of do that job. Anyway, you know, you talk about Mason Mount being a good a good example. You know, I'm sure Lampard would look would love to bring in more quality, just to have more quality. No manager wouldn't. I think there's a lot of managers who would love to have Coutinho, but in his situation, they're not they're not crying out for Coutinho. They don't have a desperate. There isn't a Phil Coutinho shaped hole in Chelsea's side. Is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I'd agree with that. They also have got uh, Hakim Ziyech coming in who can play centrally and is a wonderful prospect. And you'd almost want to uh, not impede him by bringing in Coutinho, who by definition will ha- will have to play then. Um, there's an additional factor I think that's involved here. I think a lot of clubs, A, don't necessarily have the position for an out-and-out number 10. So wherever he goes, he usually has to make some kind of compromise um, you know, at Barcelona, he had to accommodate Messi. At Bayern, now he has to accommodate If he were to go in the Premier League, very few clubs play with an out-and-out number 10. You'd probably have to play wide again. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is not just a problem with him in terms of the structure of fitting him in the wage um, bills and, and getting the transfer fee, but also thinking of what kind of club actually need need a player like him. And we only have to think about Liverpool, how... Of course, he was influential and of course, he was a, a very valuable player. But actually, we've seen that the balance of the team without him, with three out-and-out midfielders and then three strikers, if you will, is a more solid one than rather having him as as another midfielder just behind those three guys. Absolutely. We've seen it time and time again in football down the years. The number 10, if you want to play in a number 10, you have to be effectively the best player in that side you have to have the side almost built around you I think back to Yari Littman and coming into Liverpool in the early in the early noughties and not being able to get a game this is Yari Littman and this is a, like one of the legends of football and Liverpool didn't have a style of play that, that, that suited him and you know I guess that's where he's going to be faced up with is what, what clubs in England actually might 
might need him. And, and, and do any of the established top four... I mean, Arsenal are the only other club you'd think because they have a tendency to, to go towards skillful players, flair players, but, you know, who knows whether Arteta would actually... Once, once does Arteta look for someone more robust? Does he need someone a bit more physical in in his side? That might be something he's moving towards. Yeah, well, I think it's hard to see Arsenal with their financial situation um, buying a player like him. I mean, it is true that their buying um, strategy has shifted a little bit. They they are happy to to go to so-called superstar agents, and uh, he has looked after Pierre Drapshin, who is very well connected. But I think if you are trying to grow if you're a new manager trying to new build team build a new team that Coutinho isn't necessarily the, the first name that would come to mind I mean Coutinho is somebody who in theory could have made a very good buy inside maybe that 10% better to really help them and that was the thinking behind this loan move but even then the fact that is a loan shows you that buying themselves weren't entirely sure that he's really going to make a difference and you have to say on the evidence of the football so far he hasn't really been that decisive a factor which is why they will send him back after the uh, the long period that comes to an end this summer absolutely and you know his name's constantly linked with Liverpool I think it's fairly clear that Liverpool just don't have a don't really have an interest in bringing him back I just wanted to get your take because Klopp has kind of said previously and I, I'm paraphrasing slightly but he actually prefers to work with new players he'd, ra- he'd rather work with someone he hasn't worked with before but you know look at Mario Goethe there was a good example there where he would have had Goethe at Liverpool you know he's obviously got an affinity for, for him as a player is there something that you know would Jürgen Klopp do you think would be as the, the kind of person that he is the kind of manager he is would he be nostalgic enough to want to work with Coutinho again I'm not sure he is. I think he is um, very tuned into the personalities of the players. I think uh, there is no um, personal problem at all between them. I think he understood Coutinho's wishes and, and accommodated them. But I think he's probably wary for two reasons. One is, I think it sends maybe not the best message that you know you can leave Liverpool and if it doesn't work out, we'll take you back. Now, I think there is a there's a sort of moral hazard, if you will, by being that safety net. And I think Dortmund have perhaps found that that taking players back hasn't always worked out for them. Um, the other issues, I think, is that you want to, if you're Liverpool, if you're Klopp, you want to keep things fresh. Because I think one of the lessons he would have learned from his time at Dortmund is that after a while, things be- can become a little bit stale. You need to keep things freshening up. Now, some clubs do that by changing the manager. If you have a successful manager and you don't want to change, then I think you need to make sure that there's just enough fresh blood coming in. And if you want to you know, freshen up things up front, if you want to add another creative player, taking back Coutinho, who doesn't really fit into the current system naturally, for me, it just wouldn't make a lot of sense. Absolutely. Well, we'll move on. We'll talk about Jürgen Klopp again a, a little bit later on. But uh, obviously, the big football news really centering around the Bundesliga at, at the moment. And, you know, it looks like we're ramping up to a return to action um, over in Germany. And you just kind of pick your brain on this a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, what would you say? Because uh, the. The situation in, in, in the UK is obviously a lot different to the situation in Germany in terms of how the coronavirus has been handled and, and all those kind of things. But there is obviously thought that the Premier League may well follow suit. What was the, in your understanding, what was the driving force behind this? Because we hear the opinions of 
of governments, we hear the opinions of the fans, we see in the opinions of the clubs. For the Bundesliga, what has been the driving force? Whenever there's a big question in football, the answer usually involves uh, money, and this is no different. Um, the Bundesliga, unlike the Premier League, haven't received all the money for the season from their domestic TV rights holders, which make up the bulk of the payments. And uh, they've been waiting for football to kick off and say, we will pay when we see the games again. So that's put the clubs into a situation where they really need to come back. Because, um, of course, all the money's already budgeted for. Some have already spent the money. Some have already um, maybe... Uh, use some of that money to make moves for next summer, so for next season. So um, the league have been trying to find a way, uh, in line with the current regist- uh, um, legislation and the current uh, restrictions, to get football back. Uh, of course, uh, behind closed doors, there is absolutely no way of, of having crowds back. But at least in a way that the risk to players, the risk to staff and everybody else in the stadium will be around 300 people that you need to stage a game is minimized as best as possible. But of course, the league are not in a position where they can take that decision unilaterally. They have to wait for the government, uh, but perhaps more importantly for the regional states um, to give that green light because in Germany, health uh, is under the jurisdiction of the local government. So if you're Bayern Munich, you basically need the uh, okay from Bavaria and uh, if you're Dortmund from North Rhine-Westphalia and so on, which makes it a slightly more convoluted and uh, and complex scenario. Uh, a lot of people were hoping that uh, we have a decision by April 30th, which is the next time that the um, local governments meet. But the signs are, early signs this week is that they might just defer the decision to have a bit more clarity uh, until the first week of May, which of course then would put back, would put back also the the league until at least mid-May, maybe and until the end of May. That that is the latest. What um, and and is there any indication to what this is going to look like? Should it come back? Because obviously, from a you've got first and foremost from a training perspective, but also obviously we're talking about it's going to be potentially behind closed doors. But what does that mean? Will that be? a continuation of what of just as it was the fixtures being played in the grounds they're supposed to be played in etc so definitely behind closed doors there is there's absolutely no chance that crowds will be back in fact uh some people in germany think crowds won't be back before maybe march or april of next year which would be quite a long time for football to be normal again um the idea is to play football as normal as possible in terms of home and away. So they want to play the fixtures that would have otherwise been due in May, finish with those, and then go back to the ones that haven't been played in March and April and early May. Um, that would solve a couple of issues. I think, first of all, it would make it much easier to um, have a fixture list that doesn't necessarily start with one of the biggest games of the season because uh, that was the, the match day when they stopped. Uh, Borussia Dortmund taking on Schalke and Ophir in the Revere Derby. Uh, you don't necessarily want that kind of game um, to to restart your um, very diminished kind of uh, football spectacle. Um, but apart from that, they're trying to be as normal as possible. So no quarantine for players, even though they're conflicting views by the authorities if it's necessary or not, and have the actual stadiums that were initially appointed stage these games. Uh, depending on when this all starts, they are thinking of doing normal uh, weekends mostly. So um, no rush, you know, to play lots of games in consecutive times. But of course, they will need two, maybe three 
uh, midweek uh, fixtures to get it all done by the end of uh, June, which is still uh, their preferred option. But if it goes into mid-July, I don't think anyone will really have too much of an issue with that. Are there any more uh, kind of outlandish ideas that go around with this? I've seen things mentioned about like cardboard cutouts of fans in the stands and what have you. Yeah, that's an idea that's actually come from the fans of Borussia Mönchengladbach who feel that um, they want to be part of it. So they, uh, they've they gone and printed their own um, faces onto these cardboards and the club have put them up. I think they're just over six six and a half thousand done by now. Um, and it does actually look better than those empty grey seats that just give you no atmosphere. Now, it's not going to be, I think, a solution as such. But uh, because it comes from the fans rather than an idea from the club or the league, I think it's seen as as a sort of genuine and a way to alleviate the the drabness of the situation. Um, <laughs> and we have to we have to see if other clubs will follow. But I'm sure it'll look a little bit better uh, for us as TV viewers than. I like the idea of it being a, a sort of Home Alone style situation where you could have a small boy perhaps with them all on a pulley system and have the crowd move up and down in time with the game. It's a real opportunity to just do something new and interesting with this, I think. No, I mean, look, if anything, I mean, what the, you look at the, the support that the German sides get on a, on a weekly basis. In some respects, it's probably a good thing if the Bundesliga is the first to return because... I think if, if English clubs, if, if, look, if Manchester United announced or even Liverpool announced they were doing that, it would probably be seen as embarrassing somehow. Whereas, you know, I think we all look to, to the continent, we look to, to German fans a lot these days for a, to take a lead and for the, the, the best and most innovative ways to support your football club, I guess. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's true, but of course the fans themselves, or at least some of the organized fan groups, don't like the idea of football being staged without them because it kind of says football, I don't want to say it doesn't consider them important enough, but football basically makes a decision that, yes, we can go on without fans. And of course that is, is not something that an organized fan group uh, will condone. I don't think the opposition, though, will 
have any practical impact. I think they all understand that there is just no alternative at the moment, but they're determined to make sure that their sort of their displeasure and their um, yeah their, their opposition uh, against this idea is being voiced uh, quite quite loudly. Mm, yeah, it's very interesting stuff, certainly. And um, yeah, I, I guess we all kind of sit around and wait with bated breath because the first we're seeing the obviously we've seen the situation with the um, with the edit divisi and how they've chosen to handle things, and then you've got the Bundesliga. Do you think there's anything to... Because I'm right in saying they, they did play some games behind closed doors before the before the, the game was stopped in, in Germany, right? There was, there was one game. There was one game. It was a big game, Borussia Mönchengladbach against Cologne, which is a derby. And, uh, of course, the reaction was quite negative because the players were thinking, this is, you know, what, what is this? Um, but I think now, you know, two months later, uh, nearly two months later, we're in a position where we understand that um, unless football comes back behind closed doors, I don't think we will see football again at all in 2020, yeah. maybe not even in 2021 as far as the first few months is concerned. So there is, unfortunately, no other way unless you just want to go into hibernation and then see a lot of clubs go bust mm-hmm. in all likelihood without games. So I don't know if there's a better way of doing this um christian seifer the bundesliga ceo called it the best worst case scenario and i think that's a good way of putting it i suppose but what i'm kind of thinking is albeit it was only one game but having done it it makes it easier to do it again whereas i wonder whether that might be a stumbling block for the premier league because they haven't it's 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 something that we haven't seen done at all whereas you just you're replicating something that's gone that's gone before in germany yeah, and my suspicion or, or, or hope perhaps even is that once we see three, four, five, maybe 20 of those games, we as viewers will be able to look past the the non-existent atmosphere and try to maybe zoom in on the actual game. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a great spectacle. I don't think we should kid ourselves. It is not the same. Um, it has a weird, eerie atmosphere. We call it ghost games for a good reason in Germany because it is kind of soulless and the emotions are missing and you're wondering you know why are these guys playing football but i think eventually maybe maybe this is just my personal hunch i think eventually we might get to the point where as players you no longer see what happens around you or what doesn't happen around you and you kind of switch off yeah um maybe the way that i don't know lower league division players or sunday league division players or five side players are used to just playing for themselves and yeah. still enjoying the situation i don't know if that's going to happen i think it's a possibility but we'll only know once the games are underway again absolutely well if we can if you can do wrestlemania without an audience i'm sure we can do it we can have some football games but it will be very interesting to see indeed um before i let you go Raph, i want to talk about obviously your book you've been on the channel before talking about bring the noise i can't recommend it enough to people um watching and listening at home uh, such a fantastic insight and it's interesting because i read the, the first english edition of it and this is obviously pr- would have been prior to Liverpool winning the European Cup. Um, what I like is, even now, th- reading the Dortmund sections of it and how prophetic they are, really. Uh, and I, th- I believe it's a quote from, is it a quote from Subotic when he talks about how, you know, we, we, we just w- went from one year thinking we could beat an ev- to beat everyone to the next year we just did. Um, and I, I have that in my head. I've had that running around my head for two seasons now uh, at Liverpool and how, is it, I guess it's no surprise to you, really, the job the Klopp's done at Liverpool. 
I mean, it's a surprise to me just how quickly things kind of fell into place. Um, last season, I didn't think they'd be quite ready to challenge City the way they did, to lose out so narrowly. This year, certainly, I didn't expect them to dominate the league to the extent that they did. Um, that has surprised me. But what I think was quite clear when writing the book, and remember, just to, to take a step back, the book came out in, in November 2017 when Liverpool had a very poor start to the season. And for a couple of weeks, I was a little bit worried, you know, just how <laughs> how this would go down. Um, I don't think Klopp would ever going to get the... Uh, yeah. The belief in him was perhaps not at its highest, shall we say, yeah. when it came up. Um, but I think what you do get from him, um, having seen his track record at Mainz and Dortmund in, in great detail, is definitely the belief that Liverpool as a club had when they signed him, that this guy is going to do stuff that will put you on the path to success whether that success comes after three years or four or five in a league with Manchester City you know one of the best teams ever seen with one of the best of managers in the world no one could say but I think the the, 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 the vague um, or the, the general idea that he was going to improve things get Liverpool moving again that was quite clear and, and I think you're right I mean the, the, the fact that they won the Champions League uh, then makes the other parts of the story almost sound prophetic or makes it sound as if it's kind of inevitable that good things were to happen for Liverpool. But when I wrote it, it was a much more, I don't want to say difficult argument to make, but I think people took a lot more convincing. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we were looking to be convinced, I think, at the, at the time. You know, at that time it was still all, we you could see what the potential was there. I mean, look, taking the Liverpool side to the, the Brendan Rodgers Liverpool side effectively to the Europa League final um, gave us all like the, the the impression of what direction it was going to go in and a couple of the wins in that in that first season as well. But yeah, I, what I, for me it was a source of great comfort of because you know, you, as a football fan, when you don't know, you have to try and find your comfort. You have to try and pull threads from various places and particularly looking at how he. How he developed his, his approach to how he, he building his squads at Mainz and then through to through to Dortmund, you can see again that that notion of looking into the whites of a player's eyes and Klopp have an understanding of whether they had the right levels of passion and desire. You can now see that in how he's assembled his squad at Liverpool. He's done. He, he tried to do it at Mainz on, on no resources. He did it at Dortmund on better resources, and now he's finally and he's doing it at Liverpool with better resources again yeah and he's in a, in a new position because he was always to some extent the underdog okay at Dortmund you could say he was the number two or number three well when he took over he was probably number four in the league but still sort of within within reasonable distance to Bayern um, as far as the deficit is concerned now um, of course um, there are maybe one or two clubs that might have more money in theory but in sporting terms and in terms of being able to hold on to his players, he's never been in that position before. Uh, but I think he'd be very careful again, and this is something we touched upon earlier, to make sure that there is a refreshment, that there is um, new input that has, he's managed through, uh, for example, having a, a new uh, assistant coach over the last uh, 18 months or so. I think Pep Blinders has, has had a real impact in that respect. But I think a little bit like Ferguson did, um, when you want to have that real longevity with success, you need to make sure that you don't just do the same thing over and over again, even if it works as well as it does. And um, I think that's going to be really fascinating going forward 
to see how he handles that because it's a new thing for him. In on the one hand, it's a luxurious position to be in. On the other hand, it comes with new challenges because it's very hard, you know, to tell players that you've you've nurtured, that you've won stuff with, to say basically, you know what, we need to make a change. I want to. Um, do something new. It's going to be. It's going to be interesting. I mean, it's the first situation ever, really, where you write about the underdog stuff, and and of course, City will always have more financial clout and what have you. But as a fan, it's the first time that we've been able to sit and things being collude, you know, kind of like diluted a bit at the moment by the by the lockdown. But you, there's no fear that Liverpool are going to lose players, and 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 is that the I mean, has that changed the dynamic between Guardiola and Klopp as well in terms of that battle? Because, you know, in years gone by, it was obvious Bayern Munich's tactic is just buy the best players from the clubs that are your nearest challenges. And then you get a double boost because your side's better, but you've robbed it from your rivals. Whereas that's, a, in some respects, that's a really strong position that Liverpool are in that Klopp's never been in before. Well, absolutely. I mean, at Bayern, it wasn't so much that they took all his players. I mean, when he was there, I think it was only Lewandowski and and, uh, and Goetze. Lewandowski, of course, hurt a lot. Goetze slightly less so, but it perhaps hurt more for emotional reasons. But the other factor, the other uh, perhaps more important thing is that Bayern, where, where Liverpool are now, which is that they never had to sell any of their players. Whereas Dortmund, even if Bayern didn't go and buy these players, then you had Mkhitaryan leave, um, then you had oh. Obama and I mean, Klopp had gone by that, but the but the uh, the pattern was already there. Nuri Shahin le- left to Real Madrid, um, Kagawa left to Man United. So Dortmund were always in a position, and they still are to a certain extent, where they have to sell one big name at the end of the year, whereas Bayern can buy one big name at the end of the year, keeping everybody else. And uh, he was never on equal footing. And with City it's because of Liverpool's progress on the pitch that they've come to the point where they can now also take them on off it. Um, so one thing has led to another and the, the, the balance of power has really, I don't want to say shifted, but they're now more or less to being able to attract players, to keep players. And that's certainly a situation that Klopp has never been in. Mm, yeah, and I, I guess, you know, I've been... I've been studied him as much as probably anyone really probably maybe his wife um you know would you back him in this in in this situation you know it isn't it doesn't it, it isn't a new challenge he's not he's no longer having to scrap and fight to pull things together to make things work he's now able to go and buy not the best of the best but he you know he has a much wider pool to to, to shop in these days he has greater resources he's got a greater support network around him you know would you would you would you back him to have the the, the to, to be able to build a dynasty yeah i don't see why not i think one thing he does do is is really adapt really well to new situations and uh especially with a team around them and with the likes of michael edwards making really smart decisions and Klopp trusting them very much i don't see how uh they there's any indications that they will get it badly wrong i mean he will like all managers make mistakes he will probably second guess one or two decisions whether they're right or wrong um but he is in a position where the whole team works so well that you have a very limited need to bring in new players in terms of um, supplementing the squad. And that reduces, in a way, your um, the possibility of getting it badly wrong. If you have to bring in three or four players every year, and we see not far from where club is situated, a club that has been trying to do that for six years, 
Um, if they get only half of them right, then you basically make very little progress. Yeah. Um, and it could take a long, long time. But now that um, you're down to like one or two players, even if a player doesn't necessarily have straight away the big impact, Minamino would be a good example, it doesn't really affect the overall construct so much. So as long as you manage to, um, in the long run, so that, or the mid run in two, three years, to have enough turnover while keeping uh, enough of the quality, then that's your job done. And it's a much easier job to do when you have the financial uh, whereabouts to keep the players you want and then supplement the ones uh, that you think will make a difference. And uh, I see no reason to doubt Klopp um, and the people around him because it's not himself by himself. He will always listen and take on board the opinions of those who are around him why collectively they should get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What would you say if you had to then from from, from your studies on Klopp, what would you say is his greatest strength as a manager? I don't think I can narrow it down to one thing because his greatest strength is that he does so many things really well. Um, a lot of managers do certain things really well, but with him, I think he's a more complete, more... He might not be tactically a genius like like Guardiola I would say Guardiola is a genius Guardiola has his own weaknesses but I think he's a genius in a sense that perhaps Klopp quite isn't but then Klopp has a way of dealing with people connecting with people sort of energizing a whole city that the way that Guardiola doesn't really do because it's not really his character so I would say Klopp's greatest strength is that he is strong in lots of different important uh, areas of this uh, this job um, a solid sort of nine out of ten eight and a half out of ten in everything um, and he doesn't do any extremes in one way or the other and uh, that again speaks of his I think adaptability and intelligence he basically can do lots of different jobs really well which is some of the one of the reasons why Mike Gordon when I asked him uh, for the book to to talk about Klopp, that he said, I can see Klopp being in charge of a sort of a Nasdaq 100 company as a CEO because he brings the skills to basically do similar jobs, even if you were to sell, I don't know, pharmaceuticals or uh, or software, um, by just getting a lot of things right and just being very smart and having that effect on people, and that's uh, a long way, long uh, winded way of saying. He's just very good at what he does. <laughs> Fantastic, brilliant. Well, yeah, of course, the people can still get the book. Uh, I think it's been updated actually since I read since the since the edition I read. Um, that you can presumably get that on all good um, e-readers services, and there'll be print copies available as well. Yes, all good and bad services have the book. <laughs> uh, I would encourage you, if possible, to to go and buy it in the local bookstore uh, to support them, especially now mm-hmm. uh, as they're not open. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it'd be great to see um, see more people reading it. Yeah, and see a couple of those numbers trickle, trickling in in trying times as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. It is an absolutely fantastic read. And again, if it gives you a real sense, and now particularly how, how, how wonderfully prophetic it all looks now that Liverpool are starting to have the success on the club. So yeah, Bring the Noise by, by Raphael, Raphael Honigstein is a, is a highly recommended read. Uh, and of course, if you want more uh, on a more weekly basis, a more up-to-date basis, make sure you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash TV for that 50% discount off your yearly 
subscription fee for some of the best writing on sports in football and of course the mighty reds on the planet today including my wonderful guest today uh raf thanks very much have a great day and we'll speak to you soon thank you